0: Welcome to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. I'm DT Kane, author of the epic fantasy series The Far Saga and The Spoken Books Uprising. Each week, I read from one of my novels, discuss my writing process, answer your questions, and have general discussions about fantasy fiction. It's like a book club, except I do all the work for you. Find show notes, info about all my novels, and much more at DTKane.com. Here's the show. Chapter 38. The hallway was pitch black as Dell walked back to his rooms from the lower level of Torchsire Library. He dared not carry a torch, as he wasn't supposed to be out at this time of night, and he certainly wasn't supposed to be coming back from that closet Lida had for sleeping quarters, no matter the time of day. Footsteps at the hall's far end startled him, and Dell nearly yelped in surprise before clapping a hand over his mouth and throwing himself against the closest wall. No good. The steps were coming right toward him. Dell turned, prepared to rush back down the corridor. A wall. A solid wall faced him. But what? He'd just come from that way. He turned back and a man stood before him, so close their noses practically touched. Where the man's eyes ought to have been, there were only scarred over pits, like candle wax that had been permitted to run down and harden on a candelabrous column. The eyeless man reached toward Dell's face, thumbs extended. Dell tried to flinch away, but his body wouldn't respond. The thumbs pushed into his eye sockets, the pressure building, building, building until pop. He'd heard that sound once before. I didn't mean it, he cried. I didn't. Dell woke to a man shaking him by the shoulders. Shattered vials, man, wake up. Oh, thank the scribes. Just that same old dream, the one he'd had so many times before. Dell began to open his eyes, but the merest suggestion of light sent daggers of pain through his head. He tried to roll away from the shaking hands. <makes noise> Blah, Dell mumbled. Oh, leave me be. He felt like he'd fallen from a tall building, then had rocks fall on top of him. Marquis, it is three hours past high noon. The Congress starts within the hour. I've been sent by Duke Liamina himself to summon you. Three hours passed. That's impossible, Dell said, still trying to free himself of the man's grasp. That would mean I've been asleep for at least... How long had he been asleep? For that matter, when had he gone to sleep? Vaguely, he remembered an innkeeper and exchanging of coins and... oh! He sat bolt upright and vomited or at least tried to. It seemed there was nothing left in his stomach, and all that came up was a bit of vile-tasting spittle that drippled down his chin. His sides ached, and he rocked back and forth on the bed, grasping at them. He squinted at the man who'd woken him. It was the same soldier, the captain, who'd arrested rocks the day prior." He'd taken a step away from Deliritus and was eyeing him like, well, like he'd just sicked all over himself. We need to be going, Marquis Deliritus. The captain spoke his title as if he very much doubted that it truly belonged to Dell. How did you find me? Duke Liamina? knows everything that goes on in his city. His city? Del nearly voiced the question aloud, but speaking was too painful and it wouldn't be wise to say anything against Duke Liamina in front of this man in any event. He might be a soldier of General Vanjo's indomitable army, but if he was running errands like chaperoning a hungover noble, clearly he was Farston's man. If you'll give me just a few moments, Captain, I'll be along presently. Marquis, we must go Sir snapped Dell, immediately regretting the decision as pain lanced through his skull. Pressing on either side of his skull with four and middle fingers, Dell said much more quietly, I am a reader, and unless I am very much mistaken, you are an ill-lit. Perhaps an ill-lit dressed in a fine uniform, but an ill-lit all the same. Now, you will wait outside while I dress. Am I clear?" The captain's hands bunched into fists, and for a moment Dell thought the man might strike him. Perfectly clear, Marquis. The captain spun and exited the room. He moved with a curious caution that Dell had often seen, hmm, that he had often seen speakers exhibit after being whipped. He pushed himself out of the bed, repressing another gag reflex, and swore silently to himself that he'd never touch whiskey again. He rummaged through his bags for a set of clean clothes and put them on. They were wrinkled, but there was nothing for it at this point. He looked about for a washbasin, eventually finding it buried under a curtain that he'd apparently ripped from the rod at some point in the night. Immediately, he wished he hadn't found it, as it contained the contents of whatever he'd eaten the night prior. He belched up some more bile at the sight and turned away. After that, there was nothing to do but tie his yellow hair back and strap on his rapier. He almost exited the room, but then noticed Rox's razor propped in the room's far corner. Dell stared at it for several long moments. (sighs) He picked up the absurdly heavy thing and slung its leather strap crosswise over his chest. He nearly toppled over as the weapon's weight shifted, but he grabbed hold of the bed frame and righted himself. It was likely a useless gesture, but Rox had got him out of a tight spot or two or five over the years. The least Dell could do was see the man's weapon kept safe until he was released. Dell met the captain down in the inn's dining room. An old woman with thinning white hair and fewer teeth than most eyed him as if he'd lain with her daughter, then refused to acknowledge the child as his own. He had enough problems already without suffering the judgment of an old crone. But he'd left a number of possessions up in that room, including his book pack. "'Here, good lady,' he said, plopping a gilt on the bar top behind which she stood, "'for the mm, trouble I caused last night. Please hold the room for me. I'll be back tonight.'" The inn mistress eyed him without a word, but a hand shot out from beneath the recesses of her cloak and claimed the coin Dell had offered. Deciding that was all the agreement he'd get from the woman, he turned and followed the captain out into the street. You forgot your hat, the captain said as Deliratus motioned for him to lead the way. I gave it away, Dell mumbled. Excuse me? Are your ears clogged, man? I said I gave it away. Tossed it away, actually. Now, you were so concerned about getting me to the Congress, are you going to lead the way, or do I have to find the way myself? With a shake of his head, a cocked eyebrow at Rox's razor, and a mutter, Dell suspected he was glad to have not heard— the captain led Dell back through the winding streets of Fortune, through the reading district, and out its far side down a drop in the road. There was a curious odor in the air, and Dell's stomach contorted in ways that had him hugging at his aching sides once more. The descending road exited onto a small, circular plaza. Dell stopped in his tracks, realizing what he'd been smelling. Salt. A lot of it. And the scene before him explained why. Crystal blue water, sparkling in the afternoon light. Ships at anchor bobbed in the current. Gulls swooping low to catch fish. The ocean vast. Dell forgot his pounding head as he stared at the most beautiful thing he'd ever seen. How? In all his studies, had it never been impressed upon him what a sight this was. He'd read about the ocean vast many times, but mostly as a geographic footnote or a stern warning. None cross the ocean vast and return. But what he saw in its glistening infinity wasn't an inconsequential landmark or trap to be feared, but a promise of freedom. Out there... There were no judgmental fathers, no bitter speakers, no lies to hide from. Get on a ship, sail toward the horizon, and never return. Marquis, please, it's nearly four. We must hurry. Dell glowered at the captain, but the sun's position in the sky revealed his words for truth. Sighing, Dell looked out over the water a moment more, then motioned for the captain to lead on. The bearded soldier led him away from the water toward Liamina Library. The walls around the library seemed larger even than those that circled the city, perhaps even taller than the ones that surrounded Erstwhile back home. The entirety of fortune could have been breached by invaders, and those within the walls of Liamina Library would be none the wiser unless they looked out over the battlements. The trio of bulbous towers Dell had noted upon entering the city loomed up from the compound's center. Rather than seeming grand, though, now they looked more like the grotesque, stalk-like eyes of some disturbing insect. As they approached the library, the captain led Dell past a statue that practically glowed in the afternoon sunlight. Dell had never seen so much dyed lacquer in one place. The sculpture must have cost a fortune to merely color, forget the price of sculpting. His momentary astonishment quickly returned to an unpleasant churning in his stomach as he came around to the monument's front. It was a statue of Farston, the artist somehow having captured the duke's heartless stare perfectly. Dell snapped his eyes away. He'd be seeing the real thing soon enough, and that was more than enough. The gate that served as the main entrance to Liamina Library was about a quarter of the way up, enough to admit even the tallest man on horseback. "'Soldiers in the dark green uniforms of the indomitable army "'lined the narrow bridge that led over a gully "'bordering the circumference of the library's wall. "'They saluted smartly as the captain passed. "'The man returned the gesture hurriedly, not stopping. "'There was a long line of people waiting to enter, "'each being thoroughly checked over and interrogated by an officer.' Many in line were clearly readers, entourages of speakers and harpers in tow, though there were a surprising number of seemingly ordinary illits also waiting for admittance. Congress sessions were open to any citizen of oration, but Dell had always assumed illits had little interest in, or understanding of, the Congress's machinations. Many of the waiting readers looked at Dell curiously as the captain led him to the front of the line. Dell kept his eyes on the back of the captain's head, hoping the heat in his cheeks wasn't too obvious. How shamed his father would be of him! No speaker, no harbor, not even a bloody hat! Scribes above! Even some of fortune's speakers wore hats, and he was supposed to be the representative of all of erstwhile? What had he been thinking last night?" The officer questioning the line of individuals seeking admittance nearly yelled when he saw the captain leading Deliritus past the long line, but obviously realized who the captain was at the last moment. His jaws snapped shut with a clack, and he saluted. Captain Forzo, the officer said. The two slashes of gold on his shoulder marked him a lieutenant. His sideburns were trimmed sharp as the facial hair of the soldiers Dell had encountered yesterday, though the paunch at the lieutenant's midsection suggested he'd seen little true military action in quite some time. This is Marquis de Liritis Torchsire, the representative from Erstwhile, the captain said. I'll be escorting him to the main neck. The lieutenant raised his eyebrows when Forzo spoke Dell's title, causing the fire in his cheeks to flame higher. Is there a problem, lieutenant? Dell asked. Well, it might have been more accurate to say he growled the question, though he did his best to maintain a neutral expression. It wouldn't do to get into a fistfight with an officer of the Indomitable Army right before the Congress began. The lieutenant averted his eyes. "'No, of course not, reader Torch-sire. It's just, um... "'Your rapier,' Forzo said, saving his man from further embarrassment. "'The lieutenant is just concerned about you entering the Congress armed. Isn't that right?' "'Er, yes, sir.' The lieutenant shook his head, the flab at his midsection jiggling along with it. "'No weapons in the Congress, I'm afraid.' Dell sighed. Why not just send him in naked?' "'He began to loosen his sword-belt, bending over to set Rox's razor down, "'but then the captain held out a hand. "'No need. Representatives may keep their side-arms. "'Pardon, sir, but that razor he's got is a bit more than a—' "'It's fine, lieutenant. Now return to your duties.' "'Yes, sir!' The "'Lieutenant saluted and returned to questioning the reader "'he'd been addressing before their arrival.' "'This way, Marquis,' Forzo said. He led Dell into the library's keep. It was lined with vendors, most selling concessions for the Congress's spectators. The keep was narrow and long, good for defense. If an attacking force ever breached the main gate, they'd face a long, constricted alley while being bombarded by archers and speakers from above on all sides. "'Thanks for that,' Del said to the captain. Hmm? For letting me keep the sword. It's just about the only bit of dignity I've got left at this point. Dell didn't know why he'd said that. He supposed he was just so used to having rocks around. The big man, for all his oddities, was a great listener. He absorbed Del's frequent dialogue like a sponge and never complained. Forzo, however, was not rocks. The captain stopped and turned to face him. "'Marquis, let's get one thing straight. I don't like you or your harbor, or anything else a reader like you has touched. I'm carrying out my duty, is all. You can keep your thanks.' Forzo glared at Dell, obviously awaiting his rebuke for talking so to a reader. Instead, Dell caught him completely by surprise. He burst out laughing. It felt good, despite the pain it sent shooting through his skull. If you want to beat me, Captain, you're going to need to get in line. Seems just about everyone I meet lately has that intention. Though I must say your forthrightness is appreciated. Have you ever had someone smile to your face, only to later discover they'd happily see you dead? The first few times it happens, it's insulting, but I've grown so accustomed to it that, well, I guess the truth just catches me off guard. For the first time, the captain looked uncertain, brow folding in thought. He turned and began leading again. Dell followed, happy for the silence now that his head was once again throbbing. At the end of the keep... Captain Forzo took a left down a winding flight of stairs, flanked by more soldiers, these armed with shields and spears, implements of crowd control. The smell of salt was pungent on a stiff breeze. You ought to be wary of Farston, the captain said. He hadn't looked at Dell, and his tone made it ambiguous as to whether he was actually addressing him. But who else could he be talking to? As I said, Captain, I've grown accustomed to others wishing ill of me, but thanks all the same. Forzo grunted and spoke no further. The stairs wound around a large outcropping of natural rock. As they descended around the bend, the setting of the Congress came into view. Mayneck meant place of rocks, or something along those lines. The old tongue had fallen to disuse after the burning, but a handful of words still remained in the lexicon. It was easy to see why the gathering place was referred to as such— Set into the side of a cliff, it was an amphitheater carved right into the stone, with steps and benches in tiered rows, leading down until they nearly dropped into the sea. Benches were bordered in sandstone blocks, grass serving as cushions, while wrought-iron railings served as support for the men and women who filed down aisles to their seats. Del was thankful for the railings as he continued his descent. With nothing but the ocean in front of him, he felt as if he might fall off the cliff face and right into it if not for the rails. And with Rox's razor as an anchor, he'd have no hope of ever resurfacing. The neck was perhaps half-full, its seating seemed to be cordoned off in sections, apparently organized by library, as the individuals in each section mostly wore the same colors. Interspersed with the reader's finery were the dark woolens of speakers and the gray uniforms of harpers. Once more, Dell noted that many of the speakers wore hats, which made him even more self-conscious about his own lack of one. Despite the array of colorfully dressed men and women, one colorful robe stood out in particular, as it was the same man to whom Dale had spoken during the execution in the reading district the day prior, Steward Stephen of Galfet Library. He was engaged in a heated exchange with a young woman dressed in a dark tunic, she kept looking up toward the rounded dais with anxiety, maybe even a bit of fear on her face. Each time she looked back at Stefan, though, she had a fire about her, gestures animated. The next time she looked away from Stefan, Dell tried to follow her gaze to see what was upsetting her so. This time, though, her eyes didn't go directly to the stage, but just over Dell's shoulder— he looked away quickly, not wanting to be caught staring, and found himself face to face with. Ah, Marquis Deliratus. All thought of the man in the multicolored robe and his attractive companion left Dell as the voice's soothing susurration touched his ears. For a moment, Dell thought he might be sick again. Duke Farston, Dell said. Today, Farston was arrayed in the city's colors to mark himself as the Congress chair and apart from any particular library. He wore a dark green jacket, not unlike those worn by the indomitable army, and black trousers. Knee-high boots in matching green leather gleamed as if they'd been polished for days, and like Dell, Farston had a rapier at his hip. A sky-blue feather stuck in the band of his cavalier's hat was the only indication of his connection to Liamina Library. Dell had reached the bottom of the amphitheater's steps and was now on a sort of stage made of the same sand-colored stone as the main seats. There was no separation between it and the spectators. The feet of those seated in the front row were actually on the stage. Toward the back and to one side of the stage, though, was a circular raised dais with several steps leading up to it. A short wall encircled the back half of it, and an arched opening showed the ocean vast just beyond, separated from the dais by only a brief expanse of uneven boulders jutting into the sea like the wrinkled arm of a giant. I trust you've heard of the unfortunate detainment of my harbor? Dell said, giving Farston the best fake smile he could muster. Ah, yes, a pity. The city's administrators can be a bit overzealous when it comes to rules and regulations. But rest assured, I've already put in a word on your behalf. I'm sure it will be cleared up soon. Dell suspected it would be cleared up. If at all, only after the Congress had concluded, but he saw no value in voicing such an opinion aloud. Come, Farston said, his welcoming smile causing Dell's skin to wriggle as if it wished to be elsewhere. The Congress will begin shortly, but there is time to meet your fellow representatives. Seeing no alternative, Dell nodded to Captain Forzo and followed Farston up to the raised part of the stage. The captain's brow furrowed as Dell turned away from him. Hello, DT crew. Welcome back to another episode of D.D. Kane's D. Epic Fantasy Book Club. Today is April 30th, 2023, as I record this, which is episode number 35 of season 2 of the podcast, and episode number 62 overall. Um, hope you enjoyed the first half of chapter 38 of Declaimers Discovery. After talking about the uh, the Congress for... Uh, the entirety of the book. Here we have finally arrived at the uh, the amphitheater on the ocean, where it is uh, going to be held. Uh, for those of you uh, perhaps curious uh, about the inspiration for that amphitheater, it is a real place uh, in England. Uh, of course, I don't have right in front of me what it's called, but I do have it in my notes here it is the uh the minack theater in cornwall england minack m i n a c k uh they put on like classical plays there like shakespeare and stuff yeah, it is right there on the ocean it's pretty cool uh recommend you uh you take a take a look at it i think as i've said before i often uh google images of real places when i'm trying to come up with descriptions of important settings <clears throat> in my in my writing. So there you go. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll drop a link to some photos of that place uh, in the show notes. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what else is going on? Quick writing update. Uh, I am continuing to plug away at uh, part six of the Spoken Books Uprising, which is called Fire and Ink. Jeez, uh, I am up to 95,000 words in the draft, and I haven't even reached my midpoint beat yet. Which uh, so this is this is turning into quite the doorstop here, uh, as I've mentioned in the past. The Claimer's Discovery is the longest book in the series so far, and that's 140,000 words. It looks like I'm going to uh, well surpass that. So um, the wait for this book is probably going to be a little longer than for some of the other books, but uh, you'll also have more to read once it comes out. So um, I will just keep working along like i said in the newsletter this week i don't know what else i can do but uh keep writing the story that's uh, up here in my head so um there you go you know again sometimes i just have to say this stuff to uh, <laughs> to uh, to motivate me as much as uh, i am doing it to, to update you guys so i uh, appreciate you uh, playing along with my inner monologue here uh also from the newsletter this week uh i dropped a question uh I am brainstorming some ways to uh, get even more folks involved in the podcast. Look, I know there's a bunch of you out there who love listening to the narration uh, each week, and that's great, and that's still going to be the primary focus of the podcast, but I also know there are some people out there who have read all of the books already, or uh, uh, they may not want to uh, watch me sitting around reading in my funny hat. (laughs) Uh, So I want to get those folks involved as well, and those who are interested in the narration could participate in this as well, but I'm thinking of doing uh, more of an actual book club where I announce a, a, a book each month or maybe every other month that uh, we can all read together, uh, and then I'll have like a discussion episode about it, just like a, an actual book club, and you guys can send in questions, and I can answer them on the podcast, and I'll obviously come to the discussion you know, with my own topics prepared as well, so... I don't know, let me know what you think about that idea. I mean, I figure I'm reading fantasy books on my own anyway, so I can plop myself down in front of the microphone and camera and record myself discussing them for uh, a half hour or an hour, if that would be something you guys would find entertaining. So uh, shoot me an email, dtkane at dtkane.com with your thoughts on that. Or if you are a newsletter subscriber, make sure you uh, vote in the poll uh, included in this week's newsletter, which asks that question if you would be interested in that. Um, All right, so that's that. Uh, Just a quick note about my photos of the week. I am now going to be posting them on uh, my website, dtkane.com, so you can see full-sized versions of the photos. Uh, I've also added a photographs section on the website with some of my favorite photographs that you can check out, so you can head over to the website If that sounds interesting to you, and as always, if you would like to receive my weekly photos of the week and uh, the quote of the week and my essay accompanying it, uh, also head over to dtkane.com and sign up for my newsletter. Uh, Like I try to stress, you know, of course I do some self-promotion in the newsletter. I'll occasionally try to get you to (laughs) to buy some of my books, but uh, I do try to feature stuff of value in there each week that is totally free. Uh, the photos of the week uh, and the quote of the week with my interpretive essay are kind of the two uh, recurring columns, but uh, I also occasionally share short stories that I've written in there and, uh, you know, other other news or interesting things that I come upon. So, um, you're not just signing up for an advertisement, I guess is what I'm saying. So, ddkane.com, uh, the newsletter sign-up is right there on the homepage. <laughs> uh Okay. So speaking of the quote of the week, why don't we get there? Um, let's see. So I kind of cheated here a little. So what I'm calling the quote of the week is this, shall I describe it to you? Or would you like me to find you a box? (laughs) And that of course is, uh, (laughs) the classic quote, uh, from Legolas to Gimli in, uh, Lord of the Rings, the two towers movie where, uh, The orcs are are marching on Helm's Deep, and Gimli is too short to see over the battlements of the wall. (laughs) Um, And that does apply to what I wanted to discuss this week about description, Um, but uh, what really uh, spurred me to want to uh, discuss description this week is uh, this anonymous quote that I uh, read while scrolling through my Facebook feed earlier in the week. And the quote goes like this. When reading, we don't fall in love with the character's appearance. We fall in love with their words, their thoughts, and their hearts. We fall in love with their souls. Uh, This caught my eye because it matches up pretty well with my philosophy on description in my own writing. I think it's important for a character to have a salient feature or two so they can be easily identified. So, for example, in my Spoken Books Uprising series, Baz has his hat and uh, the brand on his forehead. Rox, of course, is a giant, and he's got a nasty weapon. Liana has purple eyes, uh, etc. But beyond that, I tend to go light on description, not just for characters, but setting as well. Um, Kind of uh, two reasons for that. First, just uh, as a reader myself, I tend to gloss over extended descriptions and let my imagination paint a scene instead. I'll use the words on the page as kind of vague guidelines, but uh, <laughs> not as strict rules. It's funny I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll often see someone's depiction of a character or a setting uh, you know, after I've read a book and think to myself, well that's that's not how that person looks and then I'll go back and read the description It, it is actually exactly how they're described, but you know for whatever reason, I just kind of paint whatever uh, feels right for me in my head without necessarily uh, you know going line by line of the actual description that's in the book. Um, but kind of the, the the second reason here is kind of from my putting my author hat on. I, I find writing descriptions uh, tedious, <laughs> and I guess that partially explains my writing's general lack of fine details. But uh, the larger reason, uh, from my author's perspective, is that I believe appearances should be left largely to the reader's imagination, or at least the text should leave open that possibility. You know, I'll give you enough description that if you want to go just by the text, you'll have enough, but uh, you know, I want you to have the option to be free to to imagine. <clears throat> and I think it's easy to forget that images we subconsciously conjure in our own minds are based largely on our own life experiences, biases, and what we're generally most comfortable with, which I'm not saying is a problem, at least not in the context of exercising your imagination as you read a novel. But as an author, uh, reading or writing for a large audience, I don't want to alienate others by forcing my imagined appearances uh, onto them, except when it's necessary to the story I'm telling. Uh, so, I guess an example would be helpful here. So, for instance, it's important that Baz has a dragon branded to his forehead, as it identifies him as a speaker uh, slash slave, and it also serves as a constant reminder of the cruelty he's fighting against. However, things like the exact color of Baz's hair, or the shape of his nose, or even the shade of his skin, doesn't really matter to the story, so I don't really see a need to dwell on those details. You, you out there, the reader, (laughs) uh, you can fill in those details however you like, and I am not offended. You know, let your imagination run wild. You know, because at the end of the day, I don't necessarily write to create specific images in my readers' minds. Rather, what most interests me are the interactions between characters, the complex and often difficult questions and conflicts that arise when... People who don't like one another are forced together, or when those who care for each other are driven apart by circumstance. I write to create emotions, both on the page and in the hearts and minds of my readers, and I leave it to those same readers to imagine the characters experiencing those feelings in whatever manner works best for them. Uh, so, what do you think? Do you like <laughs> the way uh, my way of doing things? I assume you can at least tolerate it if you're. Uh, this far into the podcast, uh, but do you prefer intricate descriptions uh, of every character and setting? Are you in the uh, the Robert Jordan camp of descriptions, for example? <laughs> uh, if you want to know what every thread on a character's coat looks like, go read some Wheel of Time books, uh, and you will get that level of detail. Uh, and just to be clear, I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer, though there are plenty of people who love uh, detailed descriptions. I am just in the I'm not necessarily in that camp, even though I do love Robert Jordan. Um, but if you'd like to have a discussion about this, uh, email me, dtkane, at dtkane.com. Okay, uh, that's it for this week's episode. So next week, we'll be uh, finishing up Chapter 38 of Declaimers Discovery. We will uh, get to see uh, the introduced to all... The other members uh, of the Congress, and there's going to be a surprise person who uh, we haven't met before, but you have heard about uh, this person before. So uh, tune in next week for that. Uh, so until next time, this has been DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. Thanks for listening to DT Kane's Epic Fantasy Book Club. If you liked today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, give this video a thumbs up if you liked it and hit that subscribe button and the bell so you get notified whenever new episodes become available. If you'd like to listen to back episodes or review the show notes, visit dtcainecom podcast. DT Kane's novels are available for purchase at most major online retailers, or you can purchase directly from his website at www.dtkane.com books. You can receive a free short story and sign up for D.T. Kane's mailing list at dtkane.com email dash If you'd like to connect, you can find D.T. Kane on Facebook at D.T. Kane Author or Twitter at D.T. Kane Author or send D.T. Kane an email at dtkane at dtkane.com See you next week.